Uh, man, it's been an unbelievable six-year journey, and this series really sums up um, the word that I would like this journey to be described with. We're in a series called Fearless, but really, I don't know that our journey could be described as fearless. Really, it's more the subtitle. We've been trying to live with faith over fear the last six years at Journey, and here's the reality. Um, you don't need faith if fear is not involved. Like, if it's not scary, you don't have to trust God to do it. You don't need faith if fear is not involved. And you don't experience miracles if faith is not involved. And we've seen all three of those things the last six years at our church. We've seen a lot of fear. We still have a lot of fear. We try to live in faith. And when we do, we see the miraculous come to life. We are so blessed by that. That's been the story of our last six years. And today we'll be in Daniel chapter six. If you have your Bible, we're in week four of this series, but chapter six of the book of Daniel, we've been, we've been getting to know this young man who today is an old man in Daniel chapter six. And we've been learning from him how to live in faith over fear. We've been seeing him in situations that are not easy, but where there is no fear, faith is not needed. So we're seeing him in situations That would scare us to death and had to scare him to death. But we're seeing through faith how the miraculous happened. And as we get into Daniel chapter 6, we're going to learn today in one of the greatest stories in the entire Bible, Daniel and the lion's den. We're going to learn from Daniel lessons of faith that were learned over a lifetime. Let me take you back to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, we know the exact date because Daniel time dates most of his chapters in scripture. Daniel chapter 1 happened in 605 B.C. There was an attack on Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire and Daniel and his friends. Their families were killed. They were taken as prisoners to Babylon. In Daniel chapter 5, which we did not read, we find ourselves in 539 B.C. Babylon, who attacked Jerusalem, is now being attacked by the Medo-Persian Empire, which means in Daniel chapter 6, if you just look at the dates, we find ourselves in the mid to late 530s B.C., probably sometime 535, 537 B.C. You say, why is that important? That's what this means. It means in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is an old man of at least 80 years old. A lot of times we see Daniel in the lion's den and we think about our teenage selves. Daniel in the lion's den was not his teenage self. He was at least an old man of 80 years old. You say, wait a minute, are you saying that someone who's 80 is old? Yes. That, I mean, that's what, that's what I'm saying. At, at least Daniel was an old man of 80 years old in Daniel chapter 6. And what we learn from Daniel, he's now picked up a lifetime of faith lessons that he's going to teach us in this great, great story in Scripture. Daniel chapter 6, we're going to have to read it all morning long, just a little bit at a time. Verses 1 through 5 is where we start. It says it pleased Darius, if you want to circle the name Darius, Darius was the name of the rulers, often of the Medo-Persian empire. This guy's actual name was Cyrus. We find that at the end of Daniel chapter 6, Darius also called Cyrus. But it's now 539 or later in the calendar year. The the Medo-Persian empire has wiped out the Babylonian empire. They're now in charge, but Daniel is still part of the ruling class. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. You might circle the word satraps. Those are like ambassadors. These were the 120 kingdoms that the Persian Empire would rule over, and they each had kind of a representative to collect taxes and enforce laws on behalf of the Persian Empire. 120 of those guys to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to the administrators so the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel had so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs 
but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. What do we, what do, we do over a lifetime of faith? that allows us to eventually step into a lion's den if we're sure that Jesus will be there waiting for us. I I want to show you three things from Daniel chapter 6 today that Daniel remembered. Not that he experienced for the first time in Daniel chapter 6 at the age of 80 or 85, but three things that he remembered over a lifetime of faith that allowed him to follow God into his toughest test. Number one, we're going to see that Daniel remembered always who's with you, not just what's around you. Daniel chapter 6 teaches us to remember who's with you, not just what's around you. We look at these first five verses and we see a lot of things around Daniel. Seventy years earlier, the Babylonians had tried to change Daniel by killing all of his identity, by taking away all of his security. If you remember from message number one, if you don't remember, you can go back and watch it online. We see that the Babylonians had this seven-step process for completely kind of brainwashing the young people of the, gener- of, of the kingdoms that they would conquer. They would destroy your nation, kill your family. They would take away your freedom. They would kill your future family. They would change your language. They would make you adopt a new culture. They would change your name. They would try to just brainwash you and make you a brand new person, but they couldn't do that for Daniel because Daniel always remembered who was with him not just what was around him they could not kill the God that lived at the center of Daniel's heart and life they couldn't do it in Daniel chapter 1 because who was with him was more important than what was around him and now 70 plus years later in Daniel chapter 6 they couldn't do it again because who was with him was always more important than what was around him they couldn't change Daniel's security and identity They could not change Daniel's trust in his God unless they killed his God. And folks, that wasn't going to happen. But it didn't mean his life of faith was easy. It didn't mean his life of faith wasn't scary. It didn't mean his life of faith didn't have risks and even setbacks at times. As a matter of fact, we learned from the first five verses in Daniel chapter 6, this fact, what lived around Daniel was a negligent and sometimes corrupt organization that he worked for and that sometimes that he was in charge of. 120 satraps, ambassadors responsible to collect taxes and responsible to enforce rules. Three guys who would rule over those 120 so the king wouldn't lose money. And we learned that everyone was skimming money on the sides. The 120 satraps, they would tax the people. They'd keep what they wanted. The three administrators could be paid off to make sure that they turned a blind eye to this. Daniel worked in this world that was negligent at best, corrupt at worst. And sometimes he was in charge of all these people. And he had to figure out how to deal with it. And some of you are saying, Christian, the world I live in is just so hard spiritually. If you only knew who I worked with, Daniel knew who you worked with. He worked with the same types of people. Daniel lived in a similar type of world. But Daniel didn't let what was around him set his agenda. It was always more important to Daniel who was inside of him than what was around him. The spiritual fact that we learn in Daniel chapter 6 is what lived within Daniel was the word of his God. Look at chapter 5. As a matter of fact, the negligent and corrupt people who wanted to find something wrong with Daniel could only find this one thing wrong that was actually right. Verse 5, finally these men said, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has to do with the law of his God, which was in the word of his God. Do you know Daniel actually tells us in his book that while studying the prophecy of Jeremiah... He learned things about Scripture, and Jeremiah was only a few years older than him. But Daniel studied Scripture. 
We know that Daniel then would have known Joshua 1.8. What did Joshua 1.8 say about following and keeping the law of your God? God told Joshua, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Listen, Daniel didn't have to skim on taxes because he studied the truth. Daniel said, I know how to be prosperous and successful. And it's not by being negligent and it's not by being crooked. The way that I am prosperous and successful is by following my God and following his word. So for Daniel, it was always more important to him what was in him than what was happening around him. Which means he also knew the next verse in Joshua chapter 1. After God told him, don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth, God would tell Joshua and all generations of those who would follow after him, have I not commanded you, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid. Faith over fear, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Daniel remembered who was with him, not just what was around him. And when what was around him began to go the wrong way, Daniel stayed the right way because he remembered over a lifetime of faith, he always remembered who never left him. And when every other circumstance changed, God remained the same. So Daniel said, I'm going to remember who's with me, not just what's around me. And for those of us who are Christians, why are we so quick to forget that Jesus never leaves us? Why will we this week at some point wonder if Jesus has left us? Why did we last week at some point wonder where Jesus had gone? We're so quick to forget that Jesus never leaves us, but at least we're in good company. Because Jesus' disciples often forgot that he was there even when he was physically present with them, like we find him in Mark chapter 4 when the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee on a boat. Jesus is actually in the boat. He's just sleeping because he's tired. They're a bunch of teenagers. If you've ever done student ministry, you get it, right? Like at a lock-in, the leaders sleep, the kids play. Well, on this day, the kids were scared. There was a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And they went to Jesus, and they basically said, don't you care about us? Have you thought that thought this week? Jesus, don't you care about me? Have you, have you had that thought this year? Jesus, why don't you care about me? You will have that thought by the end of the year. You'll sit and you'll think, where has Jesus gone? Doesn't Jesus care? At least that puts us in good company. Listen to Mark chapter 4. As they rowed across the Sea of Galilee in their boat, it says a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. They awoke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus, don't you care about us? Look around. Don't you care? And Jesus said, who's with you is more important than what's around you. Why don't you stop looking around and start looking at me? Jesus arose. He rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? Faith over fear. Why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? You know, I think every Christian who is alive should have a sign hanging somewhere that they see every day that says this. Hey, Christians, I'm not going anywhere. Sign Jesus. Like, I think we need to be reminded of that every day. That's what he said to the disciples. He was like, are you guys kidding? I'm right here. How is it that you live in such fear and so little faith when I'm right here? And I think 2,000 years later, Jesus wants to step in to the midst of our fears. And he wants to say, how can you live with so much fear and so little faith when I'm right here? 
I mean, I'm not a tattoo guy, but if I was, this would be one that I would have written on me somewhere. Hey, Christian, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus. I think every Christian should have that hung somewhere where they can see it every day because Jesus wants you to know he's not going anywhere because fear causes us to forget that Jesus is with us. But what did God tell Joshua that Daniel also knew that Jesus would repeat later? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Daniel, in the midst of another difficult situation, remembered who was with him, not just what was around him, even though what was around him was going to lead him someplace difficult. But here's what Daniel also remembered. Number two, when we look at this story of Daniel heading into the lion's den, we have to remember who we're following, not just where we're heading. We have to remember who we're following, not just where we're heading. Because where Daniel was going to head was not going to be a place that anybody would choose to go. But who Daniel was following gave him faith over fear that he could trust whatever this end result would be. Let's look at verses 6 through 11 as we keep reading. So these administrators and satraps, they went as a group to the king and they said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors. We've all agreed that the king should issue an edict. And enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group, and they found Daniel praying and asking his God for help. Daniel remembered who he was following, not just where he was heading, because they told him, you are not allowed to head in the direction of your God anymore. And he said, not me. You can't make that decision on my behalf, and I will follow my God, because who I'm following is more important than where I'll eventually head. You may say it's a lion's den. That's okay. You see, Daniel had to choose whether or not following God was worth heading to the lion's den. And this 70-year history of faith that started with asking permission to eat different foods 70 years earlier and seeing his God come through, that later ended up asking a king for more time so he could interpret a dream, that later would end up with him testifying and giving witness and telling his boss, you need to repent of your sins and come to faith in my God. All of these lessons of life where God had never left Daniel told Daniel, I can make a choice whether to be afraid or live in faith. And he chose to live in faith. Why? Because faith remembers who it's following, not just where it is supposedly heading. And remember who Daniel was following? Actually, his actions tell us exactly who he's following. Daniel was following the God of Israel, who in 1 Kings chapter 8 said this to King Solomon. When Solomon built and dedicated the temple, and he said, God, I I want your presence always to be here. And if we mess up, I want you to stay. If we go, I want you to stay. God said in 1 Kings chapter 8, I will stay. And God said, even if you find yourself on the other side of the world, he said, if you will get up and pray towards this place, If you will get up in the morning and you will pray towards Jerusalem, I will see in your heart that you are following me. I will see in your heart that you're one of mine. And wherever you are in the world, I will hear you and I will bring you back if you do this. See, Daniel knew who he was following, not just where he was headed. And Daniel knew that he was one of God's people. Listen, Daniel was a big shot in Babylon and now in Persia, but he was a bigger shot in heaven. Daniel was a big shot in his life, but he was a bigger shot in heaven because he was following his God because he was one of God's people. 
And we see in Daniel chapter 6 that it was less important to Daniel who he was than whose he was. And Daniel said, listen, you can change my name. You can change my country. You can change my job. You can throw me in the lion's den. You cannot change whose I am. I am one of God's people. And you can tell me to live life whatever way you want me to live, but whose I am is more important than who I am and whose I am has told me to pray to him and he'll hear me and he'll take care of me. Did you hear the story a few weeks ago of the lady, 67 years old, who checked into a British hospital to have cataract surgery because she'd been struggling seeing out of her left eye? And as they were prepping her for surgery and getting her ready for this cataract surgery, they, they found what they thought was a large abscess really high up on her eye, under her eyelid. And they said, we're going to have to take care of that abscess so it doesn't cause infection before we do surgery. And as they went to check out the abscess, they found out that it was actually a clump of 27 disposable contacts that had been living up inside her eye for weeks, maybe months, possibly years. She hadn't gone to the optometrist in years, and she told him, you know, with the disposable contacts, every now and then her vision would get fuzzy. She thought one fell out, so she just put another one in. And lo and behold, they had fused together and stuck to the top of her eyeball. 27 contact lenses stuck up in, up in the eyelid of her left eye. When they pulled him out, she could see, and they, she didn't have to get cataract surgery anymore, which I guess is kind of a good result. But I thought about how that applies to so many people who are looking in so many wrong places for clarity in life, right? When, when we try to find purpose in life in anything but God, when we try to find happiness in life in anything but God, when we try to find security in life but anything but God, and we keep trying on new things that will make the vision seem brighter for our future, new jobs, new careers, new habits, new hobbies, new diets, new friends, new churches. Don't like this one, I'll just switch to another one. We keep trying out these new things, and what we end up with, instead of clarity of sight, going to the doctor who can help us see, we end up with just like loads of garbage in our spiritual vision that don't allow us to see anything. Man, I think Americans spend so much time trying to find who they are that American Christians forget whose they are. I don't have to spend another second of my life trying to find myself. It doesn't matter who I am because whose I am has already changed everything. And Daniel remembered who he was following, not just what was going on around him. Daniel remembered who he was following, not just where that would lead him, because he trusted his God. Whose we are is more important than who we are. And Paul tried to help people understand this. The apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Colossae, he said, try to understand this fact. Whose you are is more important than who you are. He said in Colossians 3, 2 through 4, set your, set your mind on things above. Like get your eyes on the reality of whose you are. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, who you are is not nearly as important as whose you are. But Paul said, when you died, you actually then finally came to life in Christ. And your life now is up here. It's not out here anymore. So remember who you're following, not just where you're headed. What else did Daniel do that allowed him to survive this pit of lions in this Persian kingdom? Daniel chapter 6, 12 through 24. He remembered what he knew, not just what he felt. 
And as Christians, we must always come back to this reality of remembering what we know, not just what we feel. Remember Jeremiah, who Daniel studied, said our heart can be deceitful. What we feel can be wrong. So always pass it through the lens of what you know. Look what Daniel did, starting in verse 12, going into verse 24. They found Daniel praying, verse 12, so they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a royal decree that in the next 30 days anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel, and he made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought. And placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he gave the order to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. If you have a pen, you should underline those words. He trusted in his God. Faith over fear. Daniel, at this point, had to remember what he knew, not just what he felt. And he knew from the word of God that God would never leave him or forsake him. And what did Daniel say? What did Daniel know? Look at verses 21 and 22 again. Daniel wasn't surprised that God spared him. Why? Because of the way he lived his life following God. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel, on this occasion, in this night, chose faith in God and love for people over fear of his situation. Daniel said, listen, even when you were wrong to throw me in here, I didn't do anything wrong against you. And, and because I've tried to live following my God, God showed up and here you are. Daniel said, I chose faith in my God. I chose love for you, O king, rather than fear of my situation. And God has rescued me. Daniel said, I serve my God and I served you too. Even though you believed you were in charge of this situation, you were not. God was in charge of this situation. And listen to me, folks. God is in charge of your situation. You may not believe it, but what you know is more important than how you feel. God is in charge of your situation. So put your faith in him. Love the people who are around you and just trust God. You say, Christian, not my situation. My situation is impossible. Listen, God works in impossible situations even when we believe they cannot be changed. Look at verse 17 one more time. What a foreshadowing of our Savior. 
It says in Daniel 6.17, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. This wouldn't be the last time a stone was rolled over a cave and sealed so that a situation might not change. And Daniel's situation changed. And Jesus' situation changed. And your situation will change as soon as God is ready to change it. But for some of you, you have to step across the line of fear into faith. God is in control of your situation. I believe that with all my heart. Your marriage, your kids, your finances, your friendships, our country, global politics, the lunatic in North Korea, God is in charge of our situation. The floods in Texas, the storms in Florida, the fires out west. God is in charge of our situation. And when we cannot feel him, we trust him and we remember what we know, not what we feel. And we trust our God and we love people the very best we can. And we say, God, it appears that the stone has been set and, ste- and, and sealed and the situation cannot change. However, I'm just going to keep trusting you and, love, and loving people. And I'm going to trust you to change the situation when... You're ready. See, God is in charge of your situation. And I believe God still wants to move in situations where people choose to put faith over fear and love God and love people, which is where we come to the next season of ministry for our church. Not just for you individually, but for us as a church. You know our calling. You hear every week our our mission. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We want to reach people. We want to grow people. We want to help people. That is what God has called us to do. And I, I don't mean us, Journey Church International. I mean us, the people in this room. We're called to reach people, grow people, and love people. And we've had an incredible six years of seeing that happen. We've had an incredible six years of spiritual impact. 1,600 spiritual decisions, over 350 baptisms, nearly 200 people on the mission field, almost a million dollars invested into local and global missions. That is happening here at Journey. The reality of our six-year impact is that God is moving. But we don't want to be a church that keeps all of our blessings to ourselves. Nor do we want to be a church that simply adds by addition. We want to be a church that adds by multiplication. Many years ago, there was a young man who was born blind in France. His name was Louis Braille. And because he wanted to read, he had his mom and dad help him create a system of dots for letters in the alphabet so that every letter had a corresponding dot so he could teach himself how to read. And when he finally taught himself how to read, And then he took it to his school and other kids who were born blind and with vision problems in France learned how to read. It was little Louis Braille who said, if this works well here, why shouldn't the entire world have it? Like if this is working here, why shouldn't the entire world have it? That's kind of our view of what God is doing in our life. And when you look at churches growing the kingdom of God, and Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth, not on heaven. The best way to reach people for God is to start new churches. The best way to reach people for God is to build new campuses. Once a church gets established, people in the community think a church is for Christians. But while the church is just starting, people in the community think that churches are for people who are thinking about becoming Christians. And church plants and new church campuses reach 10 times as many people as established churches. They engage 10 times as many people in serving as regular churches because everyone has to serve or the thing just can't work. And when they sit in the middle of a community where God wants to move, those people will spread out and begin to impact people. But only 4% of churches ever multiply, which means they ever start another church or another campus. 
The number one reason statistically when you talk to pastors, fear. Why don't churches start other churches? Why don't churches start other campuses? Because they're afraid. What if people leave and don't give as much money? What if people who do give money go to the new campus? What if nobody new will step up to serve? What if it doesn't make it? Fear is the number one reason why 96% of churches choose addition one at a time rather than multiplication. Let's just start a whole nother one. And we said from the beginning of our church that we're going to be a church that multiplies. We're going to be a church that begins with one campus and when we're ready, we're going to start another one. And we are ready now to start our second campus. And let me tell you where that reality hit home for us. We've got about 30 families in our church that live in Kansas. They were a part of ministry that I did when I was in student ministry years ago. And they they came and helped us start our church. On Christmas this year, we had 138 people make spiritual decisions. Less than five of them were from Kansas. So I realized we do not allow the people who live in Kansas to experience our church like the people who live in Missouri experience our church because statistics tell us that people who don't go to church will not drive further to church than they take their kids to school. They will not go further to church than they drive to work. It's just outside what they see life being. So in May, we met with those 30 families from Kansas and said, we want to help you reach your friends like you've helped us build a church that can reach all our friends. But if you're not in, we're not in. And those 30 families from Kansas said, we're in. Since May, they've been building a launch team, which at their last outing had nearly 75 people. And they said, all right, we're ready. So on Easter Sunday of next year, we will be launching a Journey Church International Church in Kansas. And we are so excited. You should put your hands together for that. Here's why you should put your hands together for that. Six years ago, we weren't here. None of us were here doing what we do here. And six years from now, what is not there will look very much like what we have here. Lives impacted. People on the mission field. Hundreds of thousands of dollars given away. We brought Brandon Reeb and his wife Abby and their kids Cooper and Demi and Peter up from Florida a year ago just to get them ready for this move in case we had a group of people who said mission is more important than comfort in church. And we have and we do. Next Sunday night, September 24th, we're going to have a dream night for this Kansas campus. Because we're going to need some Missouri people to help us. We're going to need some Missouri people to be missionaries for three months, six months, a year. Heck, maybe permanently if you have friends or family over there. And we need you to say, you know, I'm going to go to the journey in Kansas rather than the journey in Missouri. Because that's where my kids live and I want, I want them to come to church. That's where my coworkers live and I want them to come to church. That, that's where my nephews and nieces live and I want them to come to church. It's going to take all of us to help do this. But I want to invite you, if you're interested at all... In starting new things for Jesus. I want to invite you next Sunday night from 6.30 to about 7.45. To join us to dream together. To get all the questions answered that are going through your head right now. Of how's this going to work. We'll tell you all of that next Sunday. But I am excited to say that we are starting another church in this city. For the glory of God and for the good of this city. We're going to need your help. We're going to need your prayers. But I believe just like God started this one, God is going to start that. When you say, Christian, are you afraid? Yes. Yeah. But who's with me is more important than what's around me. And I am guaranteed that Jesus is with us in this movie. You say, how do you know that? Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this. Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. Reach people, grow people. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, as long as you're reaching people, growing people, helping people, I'm always with you. 
Hey, Christian, I'm still here, Jesus. I'm guaranteed Jesus is with me if we're doing this. Because if we go to reach people and help people and grow people, Jesus will be with us. And who's with us is more important than what's around us. You say, well, how's it going to work? I'm not totally sure. But I know this. I don't have to know where I'm headed if I know who I'm following. And in Kansas, nobody knows who we are. But as long as we know whose we are, it doesn't really matter. We know whose we are and we know what God has called us to do. So we're going to go. Why? Because of 2 Timothy 1.7. Because we're his followers and his spirit lives in us. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear which keeps faith and miracles from happening in our life. But he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we're going to go. Because here's the reality. If Jesus is in the storm... I want to be in the storm. If Jesus is in the lion's den, then I want to be in the lion's den. And if Jesus is in a faith over fear moment of starting another church in this city, then I want to do that. I want to be where he is because that's the most important thing to me. Every time we've gone through one of these messages, I've given you a faith over fear moment to consider. This one's actually probably going to take more mental power as you move forward. But here's the faith over fear moment that I want to give you this week as we get ready to wrap up this message. I want you this week to begin memorizing Colossians 3, 2. I want you to memorize that verse. Set your eyes on things above. I want you to remember whose you are, not just who you are. I want you to remember that who's with you is more important than what's around you. I I need you to remember that who you're following is so much more important than where you're heading. And I need you to always remember what you know is more important than how you feel. I need you to know those things so you can live in faith over fear. So I want to challenge you to memorize Colossians 3.2. And then I want to challenge you to write and display, display Jesus' simple reminder. Hey, fill in your name. I'm not going anywhere. Jesus. Write it and display it. Put it in your car so you see it last thing before you leave work. Put it on your computer at work because maybe that's the place where you feel like Jesus is most absent. Put it in the bedroom of your kids. Hang it by the kitchen sink. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Wherever you can look at Jesus every day and hear the message, Hey, Christian, I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. I want to challenge you to do that. Because I believe that all of us, like Daniel can over a lifetime develop a faith that's greater than our fear. I believe we can develop a greater amount of faith in where we place security. I believe we can develop a greater amount of courage in how to live with a bold faith. I believe that all of us can begin to live in faith with how we worship through our giving and in how we remember. And how we remember that who's with us never changes and never leaves. And how we remember that who we follow is always trustworthy. And in how we remember that what we know about faith is always greater than what we feel in fear. If Jesus is in the storm, let's go there. If he's in the lion's den, let's go there. If he's in your next step of faith, let's go there. Because life to the fullest is life following Jesus. Would you pray with me as you consider your next step of faith?